I would ask you to turn in your New Testaments now to Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And yes, there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So we are coming to the end of our study through Paul's ministry and his journeys and the expansion of the gospel in the Gentile world. Acts 28, 1 through 10, and this is the very word of God. After we were brought safely through, that is through the shipwreck that happened, we learned that the island that they washed up on was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. And then they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and with dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Fifteen days in a storm in a smaller Roman-type ship, really an Alexandrian, an Egyptian ship. The terror, the suspense, we can't even get our minds mentally or emotionally around what they went through for 15 days. Finally, the ship strikes a reef. It cracks up into different pieces. People that could swim were told to jump and swim for land in the middle of this storm. People that could not swim, that's a bad place to be when a ship cracks up, were given literally pieces of the ship to hang on to and so they could kind of float to safety. But all 276 people on that ship were saved. Just as Paul said they would be. Just as the Lord had revealed to Paul that it would be. Just as Paul had said, if you'll just do this, God is going to save all of us. Well... Once they were on the island, they had no clue where they were. They discovered that they had landed on the island of Malta. Do you know your geography? Okay, can you see the boot called Italy? All right, right off Italy, right off the toe. South of Italy is a a place called Sicily. You with me? And there's a little speck just to the south south of Sicily called Malta. So they were heading to Rome, and they were blown off course, and they found themselves on the island of Malta. And we read, as Luke records all of this very copiously as a historian, 
He says that the Maltese people welcomed them, quote, with unusual kindness. Now here they are, you know, pulling themselves up out of the ocean. You know, they're cold, it's winter, and the Maltese are there to greet them. And what do they see? They've never been as happy to see something in their life. They see fires that are being lit. I'm sure they see some blankets. I'm sure there's some water and food. I mean, these people are so kind. And so they are building, they are building these fires um, because it is cold. And you can just imagine how, how, how wonderful it was to see these people. Now, last week we talked about the storm itself, and we talked about the fact that you know, we go through things in our life as well, and we can trust in Jesus. And Jesus has a purpose. Jesus has made promises to us. Jesus is giving us His presence. In fact, that's His name, Emmanuel, I'm with you. That's His name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the covenant God, the God who is among His people, the God who always is with His people. And God gets us through. But this week, I want to talk about something a little different. It it is another difficult thing, but it's not so much how the Lord gets us through it, but how God uses these things to show other people something about Himself through us. And how very often our difficulties, even as shocking as they can be, become a window and an opportunity for people to see God as the God of grace, as the God of truth. For who he is. You know, there aren't that many just nakedly honest moments publicly in human life, particularly if you're a southerner. You know, we we don't want people to see kind of what we're thinking and what we're feeling. One of the few honest moments in human life is when something just hits you. It is when something happens, uh, when there is just something right there in your face. and, And the reason it's an honest moment is you couldn't control the fact that it's there. You, couldn't, you can't control the fact that, uh, of, of what you can do because it's actually happening independent of you. And at that moment, because you can't plan it, you can't like you know, brush your image up, at that moment you're going to be transparent. Now I'm not suggesting that if something really hard happens or you get a bad diagnosis or something happens in your business, I'm not suggesting that if, you aren't, that if you're scared uh, that you don't love Jesus or, or something like that. Because we do, very often, I do, uh, react in, in a very human way. The, the question, however, is whether we're going to trust God. We're going to see this come into our lives. It is a challenge. Where are we going to put our trust? And people are watching. This is when your life really does become a book that's easy to read and how other people really do see it. So this passage, in a sentence, is about a snake bite that saved the whole island. That's what it's about. It's about a snake bite that God used to save a whole island. Now, they, they had no clue uh, who this person was. One of the 276 was the Apostle Paul that was, you know, swimming up onto the island and dragging himself up out of the, the surf. And, you know, it wasn't like they were like, that's the Apostle Paul, like he's a rock star or something. It's just not that way. In fact, when Paul came up on the island, he he does something, and I want you to just note this, he does something that is is, is really amazing, if you ask me. Paul is not the youngest person on this boat by this time in his life, so Paul drags himself up out of the surf. You know he's just exhausted. You know he's traumatized. You know he's thirsty. You know he's hungry. He's just depleted. 
What does Paul do? Paul goes and helps the Maltese build the fires. Paul becomes a servant immediately. We find him gathering brush to help the others. Now, I guarantee you there were people that pulled themselves up out of the servant. They saw that fire that was going, and immediately, and I probably would have been one of those, they immediately went, because it was winter and it was raining. And you know, cold and wet is different from just cold. It's a bone-chilling cold when you are, it's cold and you're wet, but the Apostle Paul is, is, you know, getting all this stuff together, and they, they have no idea who it is that's in their midst. The most famous person, obviously, is the Apostle Paul. History's going to record it. In fact, the place where Paul and the 275 other people dragged up on the beach is now called St. Paul's Bay in Malta. But what brought Paul center stage in Malta, which is about to happen, was not Paul. Paul didn't, you know, help with the fire and say, okay, y'all don't know who I am. I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm going to tell you about God. Nothing like that happened. No, it was God that put Paul center stage. And God did this through something very shocking and difficult. God did this through a poisonous, no recovery from it, snake bite. And Jesus is conveyed to these people through this window of terror that the Apostle Paul has and everybody's eyes are fastened suddenly on this man who has just been serving. So, Paul is throwing the brush on the fire, right? Can you see this? You know, they're, they're making all this. 276 people, they're having to make some fires to, to warm people up. And so, a fire is being lit. If you're a snake, and some of you are, and no, I'm teasing, um, if you're a snake and a fire is lit underneath you, what do you do? You get out of there. Snakes don't stay in a fire. So the snake is in the fire, was brought in with some of the brush, and Paul is right here throwing, and he, he reaches over to throw, and that snake just jumps out and just latches onto his hand. And yet if you look at the text, if you've got your Bible, it's amazing the detail of how this snake is just, they all see that it's a snake because he's literally trying to shake it off. And it takes him a while. And finally, he shakes off, and the, and the snake goes into, into the fire. Now, it is a bad feeling when a snake bites you. Have, y'all, have, you, has any, have any of y'all ever been bitten by a snake? I have. It is not one of my favorite things in the world to be bitten by a snake. Now, I will tell you before you get images in your mind that, that I was swimming in a cottonmouth something or other grabbed me in the water or something like that. That is not what happened. Actually, my snake bite wasn't as traumatic as some of my friends who've been bitten by snakes out hunting and that type of thing. Now, this was when we lived in South Carolina. My dad was training for Vietnam at a place called Shaw Air Force Base, and we were out as a family. And I don't know why my parents did this. I guess because I'm a boy. They took us to one of these, I'm just going to call it a snakeatorium. Okay? I don't know. That's all I know to call it. It's a place where it's like, you know, snakes are us. I mean, there's nothing but snakes. And there are small aquarii with snakes, and they're big. And then there's like these, these uh, habitat. Um, someone Googled it while I, I can't remember the word, but there's a word for the habitat of a snake. And, you know, like a fence that you can't get to, and you can just see snakes hanging from the trees in this habitat. And, I mean, I did not like it a bit. I've never really had this wonderful love affair with snakes. I know probably somebody here has a boa constrictor, and I just don't get it. Um, and I hope it never gets loose. But um, 
I got bit by a snake. I made it through the whole thing, as traumatic as it was. And at, right there at the end, they said, well, you know, snakes are our friends. You know how people talk like this? Snakes are our friends, and we can coexist peaceably, with, you know, visualize world peace with snakes, or whatever. And so they, they bring me over to, and my sister, over to this really tiny aquarium with the top off. And they said, this is like a garter snake. It's just a, I mean, a snake about this big, real tiny little... This is a, what you need to do is stick your finger in the... <laughs> you see where this is going. <laughs> stick your finger in the aquarium and, and stroke the snake on the head. <laughs> he won't bite you. <laughs> I'm dumb enough to fall for that. <laughs> so I put my index finger and stroke that snake on the head. Whoa! He's, he's on me. <laughs> and I'm shaking this little pencil pen snake on my index finger. And I'm going to tell you something, it hurts. <laughs> and snake bites are really bad for two reasons. One is they hurt, like their fangs get in your flesh. <laughs> or this one just had teeth, but he wouldn't let go. The other thing is there's an element of surprise when you're snake bitten. But it's just terrifying. <laughs> and I was terrified and surprised, and I was actually slowly putting my finger down toward the snake. Um, but the most terrifying moment in the snakeatorium that day wasn't even when I got bit by the snake. <laughs> it was when they took us to the most poisonous snake in America. All right, the most, do you all know what's the most poisonous snake in America? And evidently there's lots of them in South Carolina. It's called a coral snake. And it looks a lot like a corn snake, except the rings are in different order. And if you get bit by the one in the different order, basically, and I Googled this this week to make sure I could remember, basically within hours you go into respiratory failure and die. Children, <laughs> don't ever touch a coral snake because you're dead. That's what's going on in Malta. I mean, this thing jumps out of the fire. Paul's got this thing hanging from his hand. And they're like, that's a coral snake. He's gone. It's over. And this is why it's precisely at this moment in the passage they start surmising all these things about the Apostle Paul. He must be a murderer. That guy's done something wrong. Now, these folks on the Isle of Malta are not Romans and they are not Greeks. And when you weren't a Roman and you weren't a Greek, you were called a barbarian. So they were barbarians. But they obviously worshipped Greek gods because the first thing they said when they saw that snake hanging from from Apostle Paul's hands while he's trying to shake it off of him, is they said, you know, look in your text, justice has caught up with him. Now, justice there is not small j, not sm small j justice like, you know, justice, the concept. No, it's the God, DK. That was a Greek God. It's kind of like you reap what you sow, and you can't ever get away from the God, DK. And, and what we read here is that in, in verse 3 is that he gathered this bundle of sticks and he put them on the fire. A viper came out of the heat, fastened to his hand, and when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, although he has escaped from the sea, he made it through the shipwreck. Justice, DK, the God, has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm, and they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited for a long time and they saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, 
that he was a god. Meaning, once they realized that Paul was protected by his God, Paul had the opportunity to say, let's talk about God. In fact, let's talk about decay. Let's talk about justice. Let's talk about how there is justice in the world. There is a three times holy God and the guilty will by no means go unpunished. Do you understand there is not one shred of one sin in the cosmos ever that is not completely punished perfectly by the holiness of God? Do you understand that? Everybody is snake-bitten. And everybody is sinful. And everybody is going to be punished. You see, that's when Paul could say, listen, I understand why you thought D.K., the the God of justice, was getting me. But I'm going to tell you about the love of God. God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die in our place and not one sin was held back from being laid on Him. Not the smallest. And every sin ever committed, ever will be committed, was punished on Him. And God remains just, right? God remains holy and just, and God is a God of grace. And He is preaching this incredible gospel of grace to the Maltese people. And through this opportunity, He basically says this. It's called grace. It's not like anything you've ever considered before in your life. You sacrifice to the gods in stark terror that you might not have done enough. And you may not have assuaged the wrath of the gods. You may not have pleased the gods. Let me tell you what God has done. God has sacrificed for you one time on the cross, and it is always enough. It will always be enough. And this explains why Paul being bitten by the snake, Paul going through a shipwreck, it has this incredible sense of trust in God, this incredible sense of rest in his soul before the Lord. Through a snake bite, the gospel came to Malta. The church was born in Malta because of what we're reading here in Acts chapter 28. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, I want you to think about the things that kind of hit you in your life. Your troubles aren't just about you. There's a sovereign God back of everything that is happening in the universe. You know, there was a time going through a particular uh, pastoral issue in another church. Somebody would say, well, this is happening. Those people are doing this. I'm like, God's sovereign over that. Yeah, but then this, 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 God's sovereign over that too. God's sovereign over that too. God is using that too. Then none of this is taking God by surprise either. That's a very comforting thing to be able to realize. Not one, you have never been snake bitten unless the, the, the Lord allowed it. And we kind of have a, like a therapeutic center and we're all about how this affects us and what we need to do to get through it. And that's fine. We do need to do something to get through it. We need to trust the Lord and maybe there are other things that that need to happen. But we're not alone in this world. And and our troubles give us an opportunity. Like when you you were snake bitten in a relationship and people were watching, y'all been snake bitten in a relationship? Yeah. You know, you can look, I mean, after the shock and all, you can look to Christ for wholeness. 
He can. And He will. And you can lead others to do the same. When you've been snake-bitten in business, and I know that several of you have been snake-bitten in business, you can choose to spend the rest of your life as a bitter old man and a bitter old woman, you know, talking about the rest of your life, if you want to. Or you could, through God's grace, seek for that same God uh, grace of forgiveness to actually penetrate your heart. You could seek to be able to forgive and be set free on the basis of Jesus' forgiveness of you. And that can happen. And that is a kind of freedom. And people are watching. They're just, we're just watching each other. And you could lead, you can open a window to the forgiveness of Jesus. When your health is the reason you're snake-bitten, that's, that's hard. When you've been given a diagnosis that you didn't want to hear, you can look to Christ. You can reach out to the Lord. You can ask for Christ's presence. You can ask for Christ's healing. And I'm going to tell you, He is there and He will make a difference. You don't want to do it just because people are watching. Could we just got to get over this living for the effect of other people? We need Christ. We need Him. We reach out, you see. This is who we are as Christians. This is where the grace of God comes. It, got, it comes into this place where we realize we are weak. We realize that He is there. He has given us all things in Christ, and we just need to ask Him for it. And you can lead others to do the same. It, hard things provide a moment of honesty publicly that we rarely see in humanity. Hard things provide a platform, a window to show Christ like we rarely have. I'll give you a great example of that. I was reading an article maybe two weeks ago about the church in Egypt. Uh, if you're not aware of what's been going on in Egypt, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt a couple of years ago. As soon as the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt, that's like a really right-wing type of uh, Muslim group, the church just started getting totally oppressed. P people would not protect the church. That's when all these bombings were happening in the church and folks weren't being rounded up and they weren't being punished. And all that did was just incite more violence against the church. Well, the people went out in the streets and they demanded another government and, and the Muslim Brotherhood government, Morsi's government, was put out and they're still trying to figure out what government's going in. It's kind of evolving. But I read in this article a couple of weeks ago that the church right now in Egypt, in a Muslim country, is enjoying unprecedented favor with the population. Do you know why? Because they got it harder than anybody else. Because the Muslim Brotherhood was trying to find a common enemy with other Muslims to provide solidarity and not have to face who they actually were. And so the Christians were like massive scapegoats. And the, it was unbelievable what was happening to the church. And now the population says, you know, those people are incredible. Those people are serious about what they believe. Those people can be trusted. Those people were side by side with us. That's what our troubles can do. And the gospel has this incredible open window in Egypt right now that it has not enjoyed in decades and decades. But I want you to see that it's not just that God brings us through the trouble with His promise and presence. He can be trusted, as last week. And it's not just that our troubles become an opportunity to live more honestly 
and more independence upon God in front of other people so that Christ shows up and a window is opened about the beautiful grace, love, and truth of Jesus. I think this passage also speaks about our attitude toward people who do not know Christ. You know, when Paul and and the 275 other people floating on things and swimming in the middle of winter in a driving rain, freezing rain... When he came up on that beach, he wasn't thinking, this is the, like the Christian Normandy invasion of these pagans. I'm the good person. They're the bad people. I'm hitting, I'm in like, in a, you know, like a landing craft, and we're going to take over these bad people. That is not what we read in the text. That is not, no. Paul said, these, don't, I love these people. These people are providing fires. Paul helps these people. He's side by side with the Maltese. And he saw the generosity of these islanders and and began to to serve alongside them. And then he was bitten by the snake, and he didn't die. Then he had his chance to begin to preach the gospel. And he preached the gospel. Obviously, the church was born. But I'm going to say the next thing we see, and if you'll go to verse 7, I'll read it in just a moment. The next thing we see is him helping the islanders with their physical needs. This is very important because Jesus' interest in the kingdom of God being at hand isn't just for souls to be saved. It is for the power of Christ that restores all things and makes things beautiful to be unleashed in the world through His church, through relationship, through grace, through love, through truth. It is to say that we are more than just souls with an unfortunate thing called a body wrapped around our soul. And we're going to get rid of this body one day. No, we are whole people before God, and God actually cares about every dimension of our life, and Jesus actually is a Savior that wants to deal with every dimension of our life and bring blessing to every dimension. Paul goes to the... the, 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 the state, I guess you'd say, of what they call the chief man, the first citizen. Could have been the Roman authority. The Romans had taken over Malta by this time. Uh, could have been just uh, like a, an old family that had been there and someone that owned a lot of the island. But I think you'll see what I mean in verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands. Malta's not a big island. I think it's like 18 miles by 8 miles or something. It's real small. I looked it up. wish I could give you the precise Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And so Publius puts them up, we assume all 276 of them. He feeds them, you know, he nurses them back to health. I mean, this is not the enemy, you get me? This is not the enemy. Verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick and with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on the father. And the father was healed. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people of the island who had diseases also came to Paul and they were cured. And they also greatly honored us. When we were about to sail, they put on board whatever 
we needed. Do you see Paul's posture as the bringer of the gospel to these barbarians? He stayed three months. Three days in the home, the estate, whatever, of Publius. They basically waited out the winter. And at the end, in verse 10, it says that they honored us with... It literally means they honored us with the highest honors. Paul preached the gospel. Lots of people came to Christ. They saw that Jesus cared more than just about their souls. They became friends. A ministry of healing ensued. And when Paul left, they said this, We're so glad you came. Where have you been all our lives? And they honored them, it says, with the highest of honors. That's what the Greek says, the highest of honors. What that shows us is that Paul did not look at people who don't know Jesus Non-believers, why couldn't we not call them instead pre-believers? Would that be a better way to call them? He did not look upon them as, as people simply to be projects. He did not look upon them as the enemy. And I get it. I get it that in our culture right now, things are crumbling. A lot of things that we hold dear, yes? And a lot of this has to do with morality. A lot of this has to do with institutions and things that have been upheld from a Christian perspective for generations in our country, and we are seeing a lot of crumbling. And frankly, we as believers in Christ have the tendency, and I understand, to be nervous about this. Yes? But we go past being nervous about this sometimes, and we get angry about this. And suddenly, those aren't people that we would live among and love and bring healing and beauty to the culture, those are the enemy. And, and you know, I, I'm tired of the church, the conservative church, as just being characterized by a bunch of people sitting around watching Fox News getting at, angrier by the moment and drawing up battle lines, us versus them style. That is not a comment about Fox News per se. I'm fine with Fox News. And if you, you know, you might not hear anything else I said. If that offended you. If that offended you, I'm glad it offended you, frankly. Because what we can do is what Paul did. We can live among people Christward, graceward, truthward. We can live among people honestly and not hide the fact that we are broken people that need Jesus, but actually highlight the fact that we are broken people that need Jesus and you're snake-bitten too. And there's nothing but the blood of Jesus that takes away our sins. The serpent has bitten all of us and we're all going to die. Not just some of us. All of us. And all of us need the love of God and all of us need to have the compassion of Christ who looked out at the multitudes and saw that they were helpless and harassed like sheep without 
a shepherd, not the enemy. We need to love those people well because they are just like us. And what that makes the gospel like is it makes the gospel about something more that looks more like our life and about love that comes. And that is the way it should be. So at the end of three months with them, 276 people secured a ship to sail to Italy. The Maltese, it says in verse 10, honored them. Remember the unusual kindness of these people. Lots of them had come to know Jesus, quote, honored with the highest honors. Wouldn't it be great if people in your workplace behind your back said, I am so glad that person came to work here. They're a real Christian. They really love people. There's a lot of compassion. There's a lot of caring. There's even sacrificial love. I'm so glad they came here. I'm so glad in this school that this teacher teaches here. I'm so glad in this law firm that this person practices here. I am, we are so glad that that church is on Highland Colony Parkway. Because this culture is more beautiful because of their lives. Because of the gospel. And that we want to honor them with the highest honors. And say that we are glad that they are here. Remember, God Himself became one of us out of compassion. So deep we can't fathom it. To live among us, to tabernacle among us, right? And to take the wrath of God for every single one of our sins that has to be punished on himself so that the wrath of a holy God, and this all goes back to whether you have any kind of a consistent view of God at all, a holy God must punish sin and decay, justice, must be served or he is no longer holy. Well, Yahweh is holy Yahweh is grace because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and died for us. I think again of a story that I told you many years ago. It's the story of Father Damien, a minister who became famous for serving in a leper colony in Hawaii. Uh, there's a little village uh, in called... Um, Maliki, excuse, excuse me, Kalamau, uh, on the island of Maliki in Hawaii. And this particular village on this particular island was quarantined. Nobody could come out of there because they were all lepers. Nobody was supposed to come in, and if you went in, you weren't never supposed to go out because you could infect the entire population. And John Ortberg, in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, tells about this story he says, and I, and I quote the book, for 16 years he lived with the lepers. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He touched the bodies no one else would touch. And he preached to the hearts that would have otherwise been left all alone. 
He organized schools and bands and choirs. He, along with others, built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He was a part of personally building over 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said that Kalawao became a place, rather a place to live than simply a place to go and die because Father Damien had offered the hope of the gospel and was living out that hope in faith. He was not afraid to be with them. They were not the enemy. And Jesus tabernacled among us. And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then there was the big moment that changed everything in the ministry of this particular man. One day he stood up and began his sermon and he said three word, two words that he had never said before. And once he said these words, everything shifted. He began his sermon that day by saying, brothers and sisters, that's not the words, we lepers have to trust God. He had contracted leprosy. We lepers, they could not believe their ears. And that is when the breakthrough came in the ministry. And I'm quoting, now he wasn't just helping them, now he was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island, he was in their skin First he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. And there was a day in history where God left the throne of heaven and he became a man. And he took on our skin. And he took our leprosy. All of it. And was crucified for us. And we are called to go and live among people. Just as Jesus came and lived among us. And we are called to trust the sovereignty of God so that we know in our hearts, even though it's hard emotionally to get around it, that whatever happens in our lives, or doesn't happen in our life, is not beyond His notice and is a part of His sovereign goodness and grace to us. And for those things that happen in our lives, not just be things that we find coping mechanisms to get through, but windows that show the reality and beauty of Jesus to people who are not our enemies, just other snake-bitten people like me and like you that need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank you for this passage. There's just so much here as in your sovereignty you allowed that shipwreck and, and they come to Malta and all that happens there. We pray, Jesus, that you would give us a focus on you that is 
reflective of who you actually are and what you're actually like. We pray, Lord, that we would acknowledge our weakness personally today and that we would receive your grace because you are our Savior. And your grace is sufficient, even though it is often untried by us. And Lord, we pray that you would make Highlands a city on a hill. We pray, Lord, that your people would live like salt and light down from that hill with other people like us. And Lord, may thousands eat and live because of the truth of the gospel, even through us. In Jesus' name, amen.